What's up? Thanks for checking out the podcast. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me JBay for short. And today we're talking about video. So this podcast is for sales reps and sales teams that love landing big meetings with prospects, but hate the fact that they may have never sent out a video yet, or that when they go to record a video, they're not really sure what to say or what the layout should be. And it's something they get a little apprehensive doing no different than being a little call reluctant. So if you've ever felt that before or wanting to try video, you're definitely going to like the podcast today. And today we're talking to David McHale, who owns a company called Hail Bites. So let's get to it. So video is really powerful because you can tell a story to someone in a visual way. Even if the video is just you talking, they can see a person, they can hear your inflection, and it's so much more powerful than just doing the words. And if you think about it, it's kind of like the difference between reading a book versus watching a movie or listening to a podcast. Certainly people have their preferences over whether they like to read something versus watch something, but I'd say most people, at least the people that you're going to be reaching out to and that, you know, sort of I talk to and know personally about this, they'd rather watch a movie on something than like sit there and read the book. Most people, and I'm not saying that's because the movie's better. It's just like less effort <laughs> and more stimulating. You know, you have sight, sound, you know, that sort of stuff that you can really be stimulated through that medium. So video is one of those things. And I'm not saying video is the cure-all, end-all, but it can be a really, really great tool to add some of these visual elements into your prospecting. So I'm talking to David McHale today, and he and I did a webinar with Vidyard. And he talked about sending out 1,600 videos and what he learned from that. I thought it was pretty cool. And he's actually growing his company right now and bringing on SDRs, and they're sending videos with a lot of success. So we're going to talk about videos for part of it. And then another thing that I discovered at the beginning was he's got a really cool process for onboarding reps. So if you're a sales leader listening to this and you want to get some onboarding tips, it's great. And if you're a rep listening to this, we talk really a lot about how you can build business acumen. He's got a couple of really cool hacks, actually for how you can learn more about the industry that you sell into if you didn't come from that. So a lot of people sell into IT, for example, and they've never done the job or worked on security or software development or whatever it might be. And it makes it really hard to sell to those people. So we dig in a lot to how to build business acumen. So I think you're really gonna enjoy this one. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So we met on the Vidyard webinar to talk about videos, you know, pretty meta. And one thing that stuck out to me, did you're like, hey, well, I've sent out 1600 videos and here's what we kind of, and I was like, oh, 1600, cool. Like, I definitely want to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about video, just based on our conversation here before hitting record, I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about this way that you're able to onboard your SDRs really quickly. And like you mentioned, like, oh, we've been able to get meetings like within a couple of days of them, like starting, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Most people are like, oh, it's going to take 90 days to ramp them up. And it's like this huge, long process. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of start there. If you wouldn't mind kind of talking a little bit about your business, like what your business does. Yeah. And then kind of like what you're doing right now from a prospecting standpoint, that'd be cool. Yeah. So we are Hailbites. We do information security right now. We have customers all over the world. A huge chunk of our customers are in Australia of all places, but we are based in the US, like the headquarters in the US, all that kind of good stuff. But we also work with SDRs from all over the world. We have SDRs on every continent except for Antarctica. Now, when we're trying to get folks in, the onboarding process, I think is where a lot of companies don't pay enough attention. 
And from my background, I come from a very heavy engineering background, like very heavily process oriented. So that was one of the first things. The very first person that we brought in the door, I was working with them closely, figuring out where they didn't understand stuff, where they were getting hung up. And what that helped us to do was basically put together, I think it's a 22-step onboarding process uh, that folks are able to basically just click right through. Uh, it helps them get all, access all the tools they need, helps them uh, get access to the courses that they need to build that domain expertise really quickly. And then it helps them to guide them through kind of what our expectations are from day one. So we'll pass them off a list that we've already built that fits the ICP for what they're going to be promoting. We'll pass them off a, an already pre-made video, an already pre-made sequence. And you know, at this point, we have a bunch of different sequences they can use, but we'll keep things simple at the beginning. You know, We'll just give them one sequence that they need to send out, one list that they need to send out to. And then really the piece where the rep is doing a lot of their work is in researching those prospects and coming up with unique information to basically fit into that sequence, which is more or less uh, like a Mad Libs sequence. It's it's personalized, and and I've seen more and more of this. You know, where you have like name and like maybe company personalization, but the way that that this is possible and it's still effective is we'll personalize based on the role, we'll personalize based on the industry, we'll personalize heavily based on the pain points that are common in that role and in that industry and in that size of company so that somebody can come in. And even if they don't like, you know, in that very first week, they don't completely understand the product. They don't completely understand the offerings. A lot of our stuff is like managed security services and security infrastructure that is a little bit complicated anyway. Yeah. And it can be complicated even for some IT, non-security IT folks to understand at times. But by giving them a blueprint of what success looks like, by giving them, so we have this onboarding checklist that is communicated to them. We use Asana very heavily. So we have like a task that we can just mm. copy over that has all the subtasks and what they need to do to be successful. We'll give them a calendar that is basically like our recommendation of how you should block out your time using the Pomodoro technique with breaks built in. So it's kind of fighting back against burnout. And we found that's very, very effective. And like reps will go right off the bat and they'll start sending sequences and they'll be scheduling 40 sequences a day. And very, very quickly, because especially in the first week, we're looking at every single sequence that's scheduled, we can give them kind of feedback that's tailored to them. And using tools like uh, using video is such an amazing tool for remote coaching because nobody who is in Hillbites even lives in the same state. Yeah. Nobody in Hellbites even lives within, with the exception of like one marketing guy that I think is, is about, is only about 40 miles away from me. Uh, everybody is very spread out. And so, so much of what we do, so much of the communication, coaching that we do is also through video. And so in that first week, you know, we're looking at the sequences that are going out. We're looking at the, the component that they're really responsible for, which is the time that they're scheduling it out, how much they're scheduling out, so kind of their pace, and then what kind of research are they finding? Are they finding events? Are they finding articles the person has written to complement them on that yeah. tie into what we want to talk with them about? And we're looking for like grammar and spelling mistakes that we can help yeah. them through. David, let's unpack. There's so much like good stuff there. I want to unpack it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the onboarding process. What are the broad strokes of the things that you cover in the onboarding? 
So with the onboarding, it's really all the tools that they're going to need. Like how are we going to track time? Yeah. How are they going to have access lists? How are they going to be able to send out sequences? How are they going to be able to communicate with the team? We also do like basically a step for them to introduce them, themselves to the team. We give them a couple of kind of basic tasks. I don't know how common this is with other companies because I've seen companies where they will say, hey, you know, we've got Linda and you can learn anything that you want to on Linda. Or now I think now it's LinkedIn learning. Or, hey, we have Udemy and you can learn anything that you want to on Udemy. We go kind of the opposite direction and we have corporate subsidized learning where it's like at any time you can take these courses. It's kind of a small pod of security and investigation related courses that we vetted, that we liked. And then we also, as part of that onboarding process, use courses that are going to help them fill in, you know, sales gaps, fill in the basic security understanding gaps. You know, what is encryption? What is multi-factor authentication? Yeah. So that they know what they're talking about and they know at a high level kind of why people would need these things. They know some of the problems that the industry is experiencing, like some of the things that hackers are doing that would necessitate this. So all of those 22 steps are really to get them oriented in the company, know who the kind of who they report to, what are the expectations, what should they be doing on a day-to-day basis, and also help them set up things like set up their calendar notifications. So they know, you know, at 8 a.m. in the morning, they should probably be working, going through this list and kind of trying to find compliments for 25 minutes and then taking like a 10-minute refresher and then doing 25 minutes of using those compliments and sending out video sequences. And we'll give in those checklists, like in those Asana checklists, we'll have tasks that have go to this list, you know, pick out this prospect, find something about this prospect, yeah. send out this information. You're basically giving them a like a step-by-step roadmap. Exactly. Your traditional onboarding is going to be really kind of generic. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, hey, here's how our company works and here's the product. It's not going to talk a lot about your prospects. It's not going to really get into the how-to mm-hmm. of like what exactly should your day and your week look like. And the weird part to me is that what you're saying is a lot of work, right? You've clearly put a lot of work into that. But I don't know why, for example, I thought of boxing. I don't even box, but I'm really into MMA. And when you think about like the training, if someone was learning how to fight, like they work with trainers that literally carve out like every minute of their day and like what they're going to do, what they're going to eat. Like they don't have to think about all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it makes you kind of wonder why we don't do that with salespeople. It's not like to micromanage them. It's like, hey, when you're getting started, you're not going to really know what to do. And like, this is the blueprint for success. Mm -hmm. Like follow this. You're going to start to adapt and kind of do things your own way a little bit. But like, this is the thing that works. Just trust in the system. Exactly. Why do you think more organizations don't approach onboarding like that? I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there earlier on. It's a lot of work and you have to actually do it yourself. That's one of the things I love about, say, like Scott Lee's, where he puts together these playbooks. You know, I know lots and lots of salespeople where they put together these playbooks. They put in kind of the building blocks in place of what you need to do to be successful. I know with more experienced reps, they kind of come in, they already have all this blueprint. They already have all this knowledge and they know what they need to do to be successful. Maybe if you're changing industries, it can be very different. But for folks who are new, and that's kind of our target, you know, I want to address the cybersecurity skills gap. I want to address that sales skills gap and really assume that the people who are coming in, even if they have done sales before, even if they have done cybersecurity before, I don't want to assume that they have that knowledge. I don't want to assume that they're going to be able that I can just drop them in 
And that for me, some of my worst jobs, the management is like proud of it being sink or swim. And like, I tend to do pretty well. I hate that in sales, man. I think there's a certain part of that. It needs to be like, you need to take initiative and do it, but just to be like, oh yeah, go figure it out. And the best people will survive. And it's like, yeah. And I break that down, like right from the very beginning, like from the time where we're interviewing folks and our interview process is really short. Like I'm really just looking for people who have the willingness and the interest to learn sales and security. Yeah. And then we're bringing them in. And it's kind of like, you can bring in all types of folks. If you have this framework and you're willing to put in the work and put together this framework, then you can bring in all types of folks and they can do really, really, really well. What we have that I think a lot of companies don't have is that consistency in the onboarding process and them getting you know rubber to the road really fast because they have that kind of like proven process that they can follow out and when they're confused or they're not sure where to move in the process, right from the beginning, like in that same onboarding, we're setting the expectation that if you don't know what to do, it's not something that is wrong with you. Yeah. It's something that's wrong with the process. And if you find that, let's go back and let's make the process better because clearly there's a gap there. If you're not sure what you should be doing at this section, or you're not sure how you should be moving forward or how you can respond to certain objections or how you can be more efficient. And it's really valuable in that you then have this process that impacts across your entire team, right? If you make the process better and everybody is following the process, one, it makes it a lot easier to scale. It makes it a lot easier to hold people accountable. And it makes it a lot easier to make the entire team better by making that process better. And so we try and do that through everything, through everything that we do, both on the sales side and on the security side and product development and marketing and everything that we do. We try to create process first And the way that I've found it's really easy, and there's a great book called Systemology that dives super deep into this, but at its most basic level, and this comes, I guess, more from pair programming, just kind of more from the engineering background. Mm -hmm. What you'll often have is two programmers will sit together and only one programmer will be on the keyboard. You know, he'll be typing and working and the other programmer will be looking and seeing, you know, what could we do? What could we do better within this code? What bugs are coming up? and also creating the documentation for that code. And in creating process, you can do the exact same thing. One person is the process master and they're creating all this documentation and the other person is the actual driver. And you can create process very fast by doing this. And if you're in a much smaller organization, you can kind of use video to act as like the recorder, you know, and just do like a screen share or something and talk through. I do that all the time when folks are asking me a question because the way that I see it is if somebody is asking me this question once, it's very likely that other people are wondering about this. Maybe they don't have quite the confidence to speak up, or maybe they haven't quite gotten to that point yet. And both on the client side and on the internal, you know, new hires and new people, even people who have been here for a while, creating that video to explain that creates a large library of education that then team members can send to one another and can learn this stuff asynchronously. Because I think it's worth noting Uh, You know, when I said we're on a bunch of continents before, what people don't usually think about is a whole bunch of different time zones. And so there are some folks that we have that are like GMT plus two that are like a whole like work day ahead of me. Well, you mentioned Australia. Yeah. You know, like that's one of those areas, right, where it's like the basically the opposite Mm -hmm. time zone. I want to stop you real quick because I'm really curious about picking your brain on the industry and business acumen. Mm -hmm. This is like a huge part that's missing from most onboarding. Mm -hmm. Because the SDRs you said that you're bringing on board, most of them don't even have sales experience, Mm -hmm. let alone industry experience. So 
How do you approach that acumen part of like industry knowledge, business acumen, that sort of stuff? How do you teach that? What part of that is in your onboarding? Absolutely. So in those terms, like we have courses that I've gone through that I am a big fan of where they're very effective in teaching that. So like the Network Plus is a certification that's common in the IT field. The Security Plus is very common in the information security industry. And even if we don't have folks go and get those certifications, using those courses can very quickly, like literally you can go through the full 20-hour Network Plus course and the full Security Plus course and have a very good idea of basic networking and basic security in a single week. And so that's one of the things that we get all like everybody in Hailbox, whether they're in marketing or they're in engineering or they're in like operations or they're in sales. We have everybody run through. So they have kind of that same baseline knowledge of the industry. Yeah. And then we get more into like the specific sales methodologies and kind of giving people educational resources in the forms of books and in the forms. I really like video courses. So most of what we do is in the form of video courses where it's like through Udemy or through, I mean, we even heavily use YouTube videos, but kind of curating that and saying, okay, like, let's assume somebody's at zero. You know, if somebody's an expert, that's great. They can go through these things and still they're going to get a lot of it. And maybe we'll waste a little bit of money, you know, in them retreading material that they've already been in. But for folks who are at like an intermediate level or they're at a total novice level, making sure that they go through all of these courses, learn all of these things helps to fill in the gaps so that they know and they have an idea around this and there's less sinking and swimming and they know how to ask the right questions after they're going through that onboarding. Yeah, I don't know why I never thought of this, but I mean, Udemy courses are pretty freaking cheap, especially they run specials usually like once a month. All the time, they go on special all the time. So most of the courses we get over the course of an onboarding, that course will go on sale at least once. And it'll go down to like $10, $15, which is... Nothing in the scheme of bringing on, you know, a full-time person. It's like an hour or two of pay, like on the low end, right? Well, you could purchase through a master email account if you wanted to, too, and just give people access that way. But Mm -hmm. dude, I mean, if you're selling to marketers, you should have people purchase a marketing 101 Udemy course. You know, the technical people like data, they should purchase a data research or data whatever, you know, course. Dude, this makes a lot of sense. If you're selling to CFOs, they should purchase a finance 101 course. There's certain things that you pick up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sell to a really easy, I sell to salespeople, right? That's what my career, that's what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. But for a while there, I was selling to nonprofits quite a bit too, you know, because we we're helping them with their corporate development. Mm-hmm. So I went through this learning curve myself where I was like learning about nonprofits. Well, that's exactly what I did. I looked for YouTube videos, courses, blogs, et cetera. And you start to pick up on little nuances like, oh, they don't talk about revenue they use the word impact. Revenue is kind of a dirty word in the nonprofit world, right? A corporate development is what they call prospecting. Yep. You know, so you start picking up on all these little language things. Um, any other little sort of hacks that even if a rep is listening to this, because it's mostly reps mm-hmm. and they're thinking how to build business acumen, is there any other little things that you kind of picked up just in how you educate the SDRs? Any other little things that you suggest? 100%. And one of the things is we'll give them basically some of the folks that we've already sold to where you know they've had big successes. So a lot of folks will look at that case study and case study is worth its weight in gold. Yeah. But what a lot of folks won't do is look at the individuals in that case study who were the decision makers and then go and look at their profile on LinkedIn and look at that that person is describing themselves. What is their about me saying? You know, how are they describing their accomplishments? 
go back through their job history. How are they saying what their impact was in their different roles and what have their titles been in the past and what were they responsible for in the past? And that will tell you a lot, just the way that you were saying, you know, you go through a nonprofits course and you see nonprofits talk differently. They have their own whole kind of language about their business. So going through LinkedIn for case studies, you're going through LinkedIn. If you have a, a strongly defined ICP and you know the individual stakeholders who are in there, that is a gold mine. You know, looking through how are they describing? Because so often when somebody puts together their resume or their job description on LinkedIn, it's just a list of pains that they solved, right? Yep. Here's the list of pains that I solved for the business. And this is the benefit that the business got from me being employed there all the time, putting all my effort and focus into them. So that is really effective and really, really easy to do. If you have a good idea of the kind of companies that you're working with, or even your own kind of company, like as an example, this can also be really good, but it's a little bit more like intermediate advanced is going through and reading the earnings calls yeah. of publicly traded both in your ICP. And these come out all the time, as well as your competitors. So like I'm looking at the earnings calls of my competitors all the time. All of these guys like Tenable is a good one. Ness is Tenable, Talos, these guys who are kind of in the same punching class, they're selling this kind of the same guys. I want to see how is their C-suite talking to their stakeholders, you know, their shareholders, and describing what they've done and describing what their plan to do is and describing what problems they ran into and how they overcame them. And that's one of the great things about an earnings call. A lot of the time, you can learn a huge amount about the business and how they talk and how they talk to their shareholders, how they talk with their board potentially, which can be really, really valuable both for kind of positioning new products for more like my side, higher level, as well as for the salesperson how are these people talking? When you look at like an earnings call, it's, it's just a transcript of everything that was said on that call. And so you see like what it would sound like if you were on that Zoom call with them, yep. see the terminology that they're using and how they're presenting scenarios, how they're presenting problems and how they're talking about those solutions. And one of the things that we see that's really effective is when you go and you do your discovery call, if you take good notes in that discovery call, you're going to have some of those terms and some of those phrases, but you can shortcut that process by looking at publicly available information like that, that a lot of people just kind of brush over. And when you're looking at competitors, that can also give you a competitive edge. If you know what your competitor is planning for the next quarter, for the next two quarters, for the next three quarters, and you see where they're investing their money and their time and their effort, it can be very, very useful. The earnings call, though, can be a little bit more overwhelming, a little bit more technical than just going through somebody's LinkedIn profile. So I'd recommend both, but I'd, I'd go for the LinkedIn profile first, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I love this. These are all pretty simple things that you can do to build that acumen. Mm -hmm. uh, let's shift gears a little bit because I want to make sure we have enough time to dig into video. Mm -hmm. So we got this business acumen piece. Now, you know, with the videos, I mean, you guys have sent a ton of videos and it's a huge part of your prospecting process. Can you give us kind of what's the general approach with video? How are you using videos? Yeah, absolutely. So the main way that we're using videos is to basically drive traffic to something that we're giving away for free. Typically a free trial, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a free workshop, maybe a free seminar. We've been moving more and more towards kind of that idea of using video sequences through email or through LinkedIn 
to be able to offer tickets to typically what would be paid events or paid workshops. Typically, that'd be something where I put it together, I write something that folks are going to be able to come out of that and be able to put in place a system that's going to solve one of their security problems, you know, whether that's threat hunting or like different kinds of compliance or dark web monitoring or phishing or whatever that's going to be, putting together these video seminars, very effective. And the way that we're doing our prospecting, essentially, one of the ways that, that I'm able to get people up to speed so fast is we'll have more senior folks put together, record those videos, and then more junior folks send those videos until they're comfortable being on video, until they're comfortable with kind of sending. And then we'll have them record their own videos and send those videos out. And that's been very successful for us. Using sequences, typically we'll do like a, like a five-touch sequence mm-hmm. where it's like a video, wait a couple of days, follow-up email, wait a couple of days, another video, wait a couple of days. And each of those videos, we try to use something that's kind of like a pattern interrupt. So something I really love John Selig's work. He's very, very good kind of sales, comedy, professional. And I really love using humor in those videos, you know, using humor in the subject line if possible, using humor in not necessarily the body of the email, but in that intro in the video to kind of build up some familiarity and break down, you know, that feeling of of cold outreach. And we found it's very successful. So in those videos, we'll typically do like B-roll in the background. And one of the ones that, that comes to mind is a video sequence where we're talking primarily about data breaches. And so the very first one, the subject line for it is like data breaches are like humpback whales. It's kind of a curiosity thing. And so if that subject line to get them to click through the video and the video thumbnail that they see in that email is a humpback whale breaching, like me in the front here. And then like in the background, basically Nat Geo footage of like a humpback whale breaching and coming out of the water and like crashing down. In that like three seconds. How do you create the background? Do you use Zoom or something and do like a green screen? And that's a genius. And I've got like a, a green screen over here and I've got to try that out. But lately I've just been using Loom and using Loom's kind of like picture in picture feature where you can put your face down in like the lower left-hand side. Oh. And then I'll just go on Pexels, which has like free stock video. What's it called? Pexels? Yeah. So P-E-X-E-L? P-E-X-E-L-S.com. Okay. Or you can go on YouTube and basically have a video running in the background while I'm talking and kind of talking about an issue or, you know, talking like that is the analogy running in the background as I'm like presenting. (laughs) Dude, that's pretty funny, man. Okay. So everyone has context into your sales process. Mm -hmm. So you're driving them to content on a webinar. And then are you selling in the webinar or is like the call to action in the webinar like to hop on a call with you Mm -hmm. afterwards? How does the sales process work? We have two main paths. And one, you know, the videos I was just describing, like really short 45 second videos and you hit the end of it. And it asks, hey, this is a problem. You're feeling it too. You guys are having trouble putting a program like this into place. Here you can try a free trial. You know, here's our infrastructure and the process that you need to build this kind of program on your own. And the one thing is, like I was talking about earlier, there's a cybersecurity skills gap, both in the US and worldwide, that is extremely severe. So we're finding that even when we talk to people who are responsible and should be, you know, setting these programs up and should be filling in these gaps, a lot of the time, even if we offer them a free trial, there is still kind of that uncertainty, you know, like we were talking about onboarding. I know I should be doing this, but I'm still not quite sure how to do it. And so they'll start a free trial and we'll see a lot of support requests or they'll start a free trial and then they'll be, you know, kind of leaning on our support. 
And we can use video there and help out with that. Basically like driving into a free trial, which assumes a little bit more domain expertise and knowledge, or what we're trying to do now more is use that same style of video sequence, like those five touches, like short videos that are you know making fun of the pain points and, and offering that solution and then driving them to that you know, 30, 40, 50 minute webinar and, and really just diving deep in that webinar and explaining the problem, explaining the context, explaining the possible solutions, explaining the ramifications of those different solutions, um, you know, what is going to be the total cost of ownership? How long is it going to take to put this together? What are some of the problems we ran into when we did this and we put this together? And then usually there is just a very short segment at the end that's like, hey, if you now want to do this, but you don't want to build it yourself, here you can go start the free trial. And kind of the same thing that we were doing originally in the email, like here's more context and how you do it. And then here's the free trial. Or if you don't want to build it and you don't want to operate it or you don't feel comfortable doing that, then we can do a fully managed service. And so obviously the self-serve stuff, the free trial is a little bit cheaper. The managed service is more expensive, but it helps companies, especially like in ICP that we're working with, where mid-market companies, a lot of regulated industries, there is a lot that you have to know. There's a lot that you have to take into account. And so the managed services can even be a really good way for those folks to kind of fill that gap in and then learn more about it and then move back onto the self-serve or move towards building it themselves, kind of like training wheels, right? So that's where we're kind of moving towards now. So taking on more of that burden of education upfront, offering those workshops and charging like a nominal fee to kind of help ensure attendance, basically like $10 or $15. And then for the people that we're reaching out to, giving them, you know, hey, here's three free tickets for this. And you can come and attend. And if you have a couple, if you want your CTO to come in and see this, or your CIO, or your VP of security, or kind of whatever structure is your main decision makers, you can all come attend this workshop and understand how to do this. And then if you want to work with us, that's great. But if you don't, you now at least have this knowledge to be able to go and do this. So it's kind of also that brand building as education and helping to fill that cybersecurity gap, even if it doesn't necessarily translate into business for us. With webinars, so that's usually not the case, because by the time the end of a webinar, like if you've gone through and done a good job of explaining it, and then you're offering them an easy way to fill that gap by the end, a good chunk of people will take you up on that offer. I mean, you just outlined a client acquisition strategy that even like really large companies aren't doing because it's so disconnected. The BDR, the SDR, the messaging is so disconnected to what marketing's doing. Yeah. And it's like the webinars are not really that good. Yeah. Or companies aren't doing anything that where someone could invite someone to something and like learn more. So the BDR and the SDR is only capturing the two or 3% of people that are ready to buy right now because they're feeling a big pain point versus like, how do we educate and nurture the people that are not ready? Yeah. How are we capturing intent and like what they're doing there? Yeah. Oh man, this is a problem I'm really passionate about, but it's like so much work to help a company with this kind of thing. <laughs> this is beyond like uh, developing that sales playbook. This is like, yeah. you gotta, and it takes a like, I just finished a 40 minute webinar on dark web monitoring. And it took me a lot more than 40 minutes to do the research and put the stuff together. And it took me much, much longer to develop the domain expertise to even be able to talk you know, on this subject and to run into those problems and figure out how to solve those problems. So that is kind of a harder bid, you know, to put together something that is really educational. It's not just a sales pitch. And then having kind of that offer of help right up at the end of it and providing really good content. But that was, if you've ever read uh, Influence by Robert Cialdani, 
it's one of the best things you can do. And, and for people who are unfamiliar with that, listening to this, there's really just one chapter in that book that I would even recommend reading. And that would be the chapter around reciprocity. We're seeing really good results with that free trial and, you know, going through like email sequence, but my, my feeling, and, and we're still like, this is still like in work in progress. My feeling is that being able to invite folks to an event, an event that is good enough to warrant a ticket price and is compact enough and educational enough to charge for it and giving that to them for free and, you know, giving them free tickets versus just saying, hey, this is a free event helps to differentiate it and helps to engage that reciprocity right at the beginning, right? And then when they actually go in and they watch the whole thing, like that content, folks, I think this is so important for businesses to think about that content, if it is useful for them and it is relevant to the problem that they're having, and it maybe even exposes the pain that they're not, you know, really registering that they even have, that is also engaging reciprocity. And you get to the end of that webinar and you've built a lot of trust, you've built a lot of credibility, you've maybe helped them to become aware of a pain, like you were saying, you know, if only three or 4% of people have that pain and the awareness of that pain and the idea of how to solve it, that's going to severely limit your results versus if you are putting something together where you're educating folks about that pain and educating them about the solutions and then leaving them in a place where they are educated enough to make their own decision. They know they can go and do it themselves or they can get a little bit of help or they can get a lot of help. That's a very, very different uh, proposition, and especially in security where trust is like is so much more critical. Yep. I, I realize that is a lot of what we were doing back in 2019 when all of our sales was pretty much principal-led, like it was all by me, was all in person. And so much of it was that, you know, when you're going in and you're doing like that initial consult and you're figuring out, hey, what problems do you have? And you're talking about like what things look like for them and what the business objectives are and how they think they're going to get there and what's going to happen if they don't get there. That is really what you were doing. It's like a webinar, like a seminar, just very custom on that side. But if you put in the work, you can even have, and this is where we're trying to move towards now, you can even have like an automated webinar for each of your different product lines that's running every single day. And your reps are going out and they're armed with these event tickets that they can give out to folks, that they can invite folks, that they can go out to groups where this is relevant and they can share this on an ongoing basis. And like when you make cold calls, for instance, you're tr- like the, the goal of cold calls typically is not to sell right there on the phone but to set an event, to set a meeting that is regarded as more important than just that disruptive call. And so I wonder why more companies aren't putting together, you know, these educational materials, putting together these processes to invite folks into these events. And really the thing that what got me onto it was looking at the earnings calls for Barracuda and seeing them talk about how effective these were to their shareholders and like having these events and using like direct mail to invite folks to these events and using social media to invite people to these events and it being game-changing for their operations. So earnings calls can, I mean, they can benefit you in a lot of different ways to see kind of where your competitor's mind lies, but it's certainly a lot of work. You know, I'm going through it right now and we're still doing the old kind of video email sequences that are leading into free trials. But the goal is to have automated webinars that are bringing a lot of value for these pain points that are educating our potential customers and helping them, even if they don't wind up working with us, but helping them to go out and say, hey, you know, these guys did a really phenomenal webinar. Maybe 
this is what this other company, you should check these guys out. I've got another one going on Thursday. Go and watch this and it'll help you understand whether you should make your own dark web monitoring or whether you should work with these guys and get the infrastructure from them and then try and run it yourself or whether you should work with them and have them set it up and run out the gate. Oh man, I could spend a ton of time talking about that, but because we got about 10 minutes here, I want to get to what are some more examples of the videos that you send? What about the prospecting videos though, specifically? Like what are some of the other types of videos that you send? So, I mean, I like doing the like LinkedIn profile thing where you're going and talking about in their own words. You can do that when you're doing that research phase and snap on Loom and talk about in their own words what their problem may be. I think those are fantastic. I think that doing thank you videos is severely underrated. You know, thanking people when they engage with content or when they share really, really, really great content or when they have an awesome webinar, they have an awesome panel. And that has led to a lot of collaborative efforts actually where we'll thank people or appreciate people for content that they put out. And they're like, hey, you know, we're doing a panel next week. Why don't we work together on that? I think that may actually have been like how I got on the Vidyard panel with Tyler was like sharing some video like that in Rev Genius, for instance. But a lot of the time, it can even be sending videos to folks when they're talking about a problem on LinkedIn that is tangential but not necessarily completely related to what you do. And that's something where like, I'll troll through LinkedIn sometimes looking at hashtags or I'll troll through like Twitter at times looking for keywords or key phrases and send short screen share videos or send talking head videos of like what we did in that instance. And those are usually really short. Those are usually like 30 seconds, two minutes, something like that. And just talk about that problem space. One that comes to mind is we were using a network services orchestration tool a few months back and had done work that is not very common outside of telecoms and outside of banking, but it's still a problem outside of telecoms and banking. So we were looking for people who were talking around that and talking around things that would indicate, oh, they're going through a digital modernization effort. They're trying to be better about how they're managing devices and just talk a little bit with those folks. You know, when we can find threads like that, send in videos about the problems we were experiencing. And some of the problems we were experiencing were very, very challenging to solve inside of that. But when you're sharing that kind of like really niche knowledge or really expert knowledge, I mean, it helps that person out because it can be very lonely, especially like within security or within very technical disciplines, when you feel like you're the only person that's dealing with a particular problem. It can be an amazing way to build goodwill and to build expertise, to find those folks and to just take a minute or two if, if you have the technical acumen and help them through that. Or even, you know, explore possible solutions, even if you don't haven't necessarily dealt with that particular problem before. Yeah, no, I love that, man. With that first video that you send with the whale, Mm -hmm. I think this is an interesting kind of messaging approach where you think of these analogies. Mm -hmm. Do you have a framework or anything like when you're thinking, like, how did you come up with the whale thing? Like if someone wants to come up with like analogies and things like that to kind of illustrate the points, like how did you come up with that? I love that. And it was, it was something that John Selleck really turned me on to because that's one of the first things he does mm-hmm. when you're going through like his comedy workshops, that kind of thing is he's talking about, you know, find the pain points, figure out like what is like that pain point, you know, what can you compare it to that's going to still make sense to that person that's going to be relatable, it's going to be identifiable. And you come up with something that is so much more unique than so many of the prospecting messages that, that you t- see. Like if you can get a chuckle out of somebody, that is honestly an amazing rapport builder. I think especially now how stressed folks are with how much burnout is a consideration 
to be able to bring like laughter to somebody and show that you understand their problem and also make them potentially laugh. They're always laugh, but I think it shows a lot of creativity and a lot of thought and a good understanding of pain points. Because if you don't understand the pain point, you're not going to know how a humpback whale is like a data breach. You know, it's it's just not quite going to click. Or if you're not experiencing that pain. And one of the things I like with John Selig is he's like, if you send this video outside of your ideal client profile, they shouldn't find it funny. It's like, it should be something that the guy who is like sitting there is like the CFO at a healthcare company. And it just like really hits the pain point that's been keeping him up. And it's just like so close. And it's like you laugh, even if it's not quite funny, it's like too close to home, you know, like you really hit that pain point, I think is an expert indicator that you've done your research, that you understand kind of the context around that pain point and that you're creative enough to put together something like that. And I mean, you can like the way he does it, he does like a whole workshop where he has like a big Excel spreadsheet and like has like seven phases where it's like you find out, you put together pain points, you put together things that are like, that could be similar to those pain points. You like, he has like a whole framework for creating these very, very, very quickly. The super like high level view is find a pain point, find something that you can tie it back to and then find three commonalities between that pain point and the thing that you're tying it to Mm. and have, you know, the first two just be kind of like, ah, yeah, you know, I wish I had the blue whale one up because it's funny when you do these recordings and you're not like doing the video every single time you become less familiar with it. But it's really like you have that third one is your punchline, you know, it's like humpback whales. How are humpback whales like data breaches? You know, they both cruise beneath the surface People pay a lot of money to see them and they lead up to a huge breach, something like that. But it shows to folks like, oh, yeah, you know, there's this whole underground market where people are buying and selling data leading up to a breach. Definitely. That makes sense. You know, if people are going out and buying my data. They're going to be able to log into my employee accounts. That leads up to a breach. It's going to be really expensive for us. And it helps to kind of like connect a lot of these dots that help to show expertise without just, you know, you going in there and being very academic in how you're presenting the problem, right? Yeah, that's interesting. That's making me really think about just the different analogies. I I compare prospecting a lot to like working out and like how much of a pain in the ass, like getting yourself to work out when you don't want to is, but that's not funny. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's like some really good opportunity for these analogies that can, because a lot of people are selling stuff, especially in tech, you're selling things that the other person hasn't heard of before. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're fixing the problem in a unique way that they have never heard about or knew that was possible. So having an analogy, you know, to talk about it is definitely something that will resonate with people. It's so important, especially in security, which is so abstract. You know, you can say tech is abstract and then security is almost a layer of abstraction beyond that. Because a lot of tech, you can look at tech yeah. and say, hey, this is doing something. But a lot of security, it's there to stop something from happening, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if it's working, nothing's going wrong, you know, necessarily. So having those analogies also helps to make those things more concrete than they may otherwise be. And the further away you get from like physical products and physical services, I think the more important it is to have those analogies and help folks to tie it back, especially like you're saying, when you're presenting a completely new technology or you're presenting a technology like dark web monitoring, where there are a lot of misconceptions around it. There's a lot of questions about, hey, what does this even do? And even between vendors, it can be so different in how they execute and how they provide data or how they provide alerts that 
you have to have kind of some way to make it more concrete, make it easier for people to compare and to understand like, what is this really going to do? Why would I need this? And what does it look like when I'm getting it or what I'm doing? it? Yeah, I just thought of one, actually. If I sent a cold email and it said, hey, David, prospecting is a lot like exercising. Mm -hmm. And then the next line of the email was like, because most people don't like exercising, Mm -hmm. but a few of them do it anyways. Mm -hmm. And in this video, I'd love to share with you how you can get your reps that don't like prospecting to do it anyways, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That obviously needs a little bit more finessing, but that's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. The analogies, you got me thinking, dude, because I think this is a big piece. I really think the future of prospecting is in like the messaging. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like the messaging was never important. I mean, like coming up with something that's a little bit more creative. Not we solve this problem. Even if you nail the problem, here's how we do it. Here's a case study. It's how can I make this make sense to the person quickly? And in an analogy, I mean, you understand really quickly when I say prospecting is like exercising, right? You don't like exercising, but you do it anyways. It's like, oh, okay. Like I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, You could even explain that with a picture. Yeah. You know, the humpback whale thing is so funny, dude. Yeah. And that's really like what your thumbnail is reinforcing because the whole purpose of an email is, you know, you go by it's to get them to open it up. So the subject line Mm -hmm. and whatever the opening line is to get them to read through the two or three lines that you got in there. And those two or three lines are just to get them to watch the video and that video. So that video thumbnail should really like all of that should be working together. Just like you were saying earlier, like the divorce between sales and marketing, that's a huge problem. Like if your sales and marketing working in different directions, you've got a problem. And with that, like I'm serving as a chief information security officer for a company right now. And so I get a lot of security prospecting material, which is great. It's kind of like, I just push it into my swipe file. But if you have an analogy like that, I'll tell you right now, if I'm looking in my inbox and I have like 800 emails from this week for that company, the ones that I'm going to open are probably going to be the ones that are interesting or unique or are, yeah. uh, they inspire that curiosity. Dude, who's not going to open up an email that says security is like humpback whales? <laughs> You know, like who's not going to open up that email? <laughs> I can kind of guess how it might be. But I'm like, yeah. yeah, no, that's hilarious, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we're out of time. I appreciate you coming on, man. Where can people connect with you, follow you, see more of your work, like that, all that good stuff, man? Yeah, so I mean, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all under Hailbytes. On LinkedIn, I'm slash in slash David Hailbytes. And then, of course, on Hailbytes.com. So I'd recommend reaching out through LinkedIn or sending me an email at david at It's probably the fastest way to reach me, but I'm all over social media. <laughs> Love it, man. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Definitely go check out David and the LinkedIn stuff. And I would also check out the Vidyard webinar that we did together too. He shared a lot of great tips in the video. That was a fun one. One of my big takeaways was I love the 22-step onboarding process, but particularly around like this hack of, if you don't really know about the industry, go get a course and your company would probably pay for this. Go get a Udemy course on your industry and learn a little bit more about your prospects. That's a really easy way to just be spoon-fed all the information that you need. And I also love this concept of finding analogies, which I'm gonna have some more content on really, really soon because this is a topic I'm really passionate about with messaging is having a good analogy to explain what you do. So thanks for tuning in. I got one favor before you take off. What would really help us continue growing the show so I can get more people like yourself listening to this and great guests like David would be to get a quick, short, honest review from me on iTunes. So if you're listening to this on your iPod, if you have one or your iPhone or whatever you're listening to these days, 
There is a podcast app on there. And if you look up Blissful Prospecting, scroll down at the bottom there, you can leave a short, quick review. I'd really appreciate it. It would help me out a lot. So thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you later.